Hey guys, Jason Davis here. Uh, with everything that's going on out there in culture, in the school system, especially the public school system, right? And drag shows and everything in between, our kids are under attack daily. And that's why I wanted to tell you today about the Tuttle Twins books. Tuttle Twins is really, it's the only books uh, that I know of for kids that really help them develop critical thinking skills about real world concepts, economies, finance, government, freedom, liberty, the free market, how to be self-reliant and outside the system. Right now, we just all have to recognize the world's full of companies and people and politicians that want to expose and influence our kids and in ideas that we don't support. And so that includes school teachers, unfortunately. So Tuttle Twins empowers parents. I encourage you to check them out at TuttleTwins.com or if you go to my website at DontTreadOnLiberty.com and go to Freedom Partners under Tuttle Twins, there is a special offer for you. So DontTreadOnLiberty.com under Freedom Partners. Check out the Tuttle Twins and we do have a special offer for you. Well, let's get back to the show. I hope you enjoy this week. God bless. Fighting back against the left's nonstop attacks on liberty, freedom, and America. America. This is Don't Tread on Liberty. Jason Davis is on the air. Hey, welcome back to Don't Tread on Liberty. Thanks for being here, Jason Davis. Um, there is a lot going on in the world, as always. And somebody I'd like to talk to about all of those different types of things is the host of the Things I Think About podcast. Mr. Jim Stroud is with us. Jim, thanks for being here. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, as well as can be in these interesting times. That's for sure. I know, right? Um, it's like, it seriously is like the twilight zone for the last year and a half, two years. Truly. Um, and I don't think it's ever going to end, to be quite honest. Yeah, and it's like um, one of my favorite shows on Netflix is uh, Black Mirror. And 2020 and 2021 are like uh, a very long episode of Black Mirror. Have you ever seen that show? No, I haven't. It's uh, like, um, I- yeah, it's like twilight zone for, te- for technology. So uh, everything that could go wrong with tech, it goes into. Yeah, I mean, I, I read that book, 1984, and, um, you know, I broke my phone in half after that. So <laughs> um, I'm going back to the brick phone. You know that? You remember those things? Dude, I am really on the verge of that. There is this, um, this new phone. I, I saw it advertised, I think, on Candace Owens' show. It was called, it was called a Freedom Phone. Uh, which is designed for freedom lovers, as they call it, uh, which means it doesn't spy on you. Uh, I was just reading right before uh, we got together uh, about Apple and how they're launching this new mass surveillance uh, uh, strategy. Have you heard about it? Yeah, they're going to scan everybody's pictures and look for, um, you know, child... um... Child porn, or, kitty porn, yeah, yeah, or whatever. I mean, that's where that, it starts, <laughs> and that can be that can be like you know, you took a picture of your little girl in the bathtub uh, when she was two or something, and then uh, they come and kick your door down. So exactly, yeah. So um, let's talk about vaccine mandates mm. um, because this is coming hard and heavy. I was I was calling, I was warning on this a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, this is coming fast and furious now, and it's happening all over the world. This is a clear violation of your constitutional rights. Um, you know, just at the very most basic level, read the Declaration of Independence. You have the right to life, 
liberty and the and the pursuit of happiness the word liberty is freedom over your own body okay so they are now at the point where they're going to tell us what kind of medical treatment we must have and i mean where does that end i mean so they're going to do that so does that mean if i get cancer they're going to make me take chemo does that mean if i um the next emergency if it's overpopulation in the world they can um you know um exterminate my kids or castrate me because I'm not allowed to have any more children, kind of like what they do in China. Is that where we're headed? Or I mean, where does it end? So I mean, if we allow this, if this is allowed to happen, that essentially means the government owns you. You have no, you have no rights, you have no autonomy, and you absolutely have no freedom. What are your thoughts? I think you're I think you're dead on. I think it will continue as long as we allow it until we have a big uh, wellspring of of patriots, of, of people who say, you know what, enough is enough. We take the example of what's going on in, in France with people protesting en masse, even though they're not showing it over here in the media. Uh, people in, in Ireland, people in Germany, a lot of people have risen up uh, and protested. And I mean, like hundreds of thousands or millions of people rather worldwide against these COVID vaccine lockdowns. And I think we need to see something like that happen here in America. I think as long as we continue to take it and not fight back against it, we don't resist. It's going to just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger uh, to get to the point that uh, we won't be able to, to resist because we'll be so overwhelmed. Um, I fully expect to see more lockdowns uh, around the time of election <laughs> to make it um make it more easier for certain people to win elections. There's already talk about that in California. And um, I see that happening um, nationwide eventually soon. I've already heard some buzz about it uh, from different uh, media outlets saying that it's being discussed and that potentially it may happen uh, before the month is out. That's not concrete. It's not for sure. That's just sort of the rumor buzz from people who supposedly have insight uh, or connections inside the White House that they're discussing it. I think it's I think it's very dangerous. I also have heard reports of how some school systems uh, are going around parents' wishes and vaccinating children and asking the children not to mention it to their parents. I don't have a newspaper citation for that, but I, I was hearing that earlier today. Um, so no, that, I find that absolutely is going on. Washington D.C. Um, they passed a I don't know if it's an ordinance there or some type of law. Yes, children as young as 11 can consent without parental consent, and they absolutely do tell them not to tell their parents. And it's happening in other places as well. Um, they're setting up, uh, you know, vaccination sites at every public school. I mean, they're, you know, this is open season on kids, and um, it's not good. It's not good at all. When my uh, daughter was in school, when she was in grade school, and she had a headache, the school had to call me. Uh, for permission to give her an aspirin, you know, uh, that's how far uh, this whole situation has changed. When you have to call me to give my kid an aspirin, but you can go ahead and and inject them with something uh, with an experimental drug. It it just, it just blows my mind. It blows my mind. Even to even to date, unless uh, maybe you've heard otherwise, but to date is still, the vaccine is still quote unquote experimental because it hasn't been fully approved by the food and drug administration. Now there's been, hundreds, maybe even thousands of experts that have testified before the FDA. There's lawyers involved, there's lawsuits being filed against the FDA. 
to basically revoke the emergency use authorization based on all the deaths and uh, adverse events that have been reported to the VAR system. And they're still going to approve it. I mean, I have no doubt of that. Um, So I don't know that we can stop it. Once it is approved, there's no telling what they're going to do. You saw the story, I'm sure, about the CDC FEMA camps. You know, what is going to happen, Jim, is Mm -hmm. um, all of these increased cases that they're saying exist, um, they're going to blame that on the unvaccinated. Okay. So they're going to, they're going to blame that when in reality, you can see when you look at other countries. So like in Israel, for example, they are one of the most highly vaccinated countries in the world right now. They have about 80% of their populace fully vaxxed and 95% of their hospitalizations are people that are fully vaxxed. Um, so these are the people that are spreading the variants. These are the people that are getting sick again because their immune system has been destroyed. And um, the, but what they're doing is the opposite. See, they're going to blame the people that are unvaccinated mm-hmm. and convince about 70 percent of the people that it's our fault. And at that point, just like in Nazi Germany, they'll happily lock 30 percent of us up to save the rest of them. Yeah. So that's where this is all going. Again, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure there's anything we can do about it. You, I want to circle back to what you said a couple minutes ago. Hmm. You talked about the protests going on around the world. Yep. So this has been happening for well over a year. I mean, um, Germany, England, uh, Australia. I mean, these places are on fire. I mean, they got millions of people in the streets like most- every like every day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and, yeah. It, and what good is that done, Jim? What good is it done? I think it's something it's one of those things where you have to keep the pressure on. Maybe we don't see it right away, but it, it has to be constantly. The pressure has to has to be maintained because as soon as you stop with the pressure, uh, they're just going to load more on on top. So I hope the protests never stop until uh, some sanity <laughs> by means of sanity. People have the right over their own bodies again. Um, which the governments, the various governments are, are, are striving to take away. Um, because if they do not happen, if it does not happen, if they give up, they don't keep the pressure up, then it's only going to snowball into other areas of life. Um, I'm, I uh, read recently how David Sachs, who was the co-founder, of, who was the founder of PayPal, was talking about how he was taking his company to task because there were different groups out there like the uh, ADL, American Defense League, uh, and others were saying that because they thought that someone's views was a hate crime uh, or, and there was another one about uh, some sort of uh, Christian group, uh, they were demanding that they be deplatformed from PayPal because they disagreed with uh, their ideology, the leftist ideology that they espoused. And so I can easily imagine, easily imagine that if someone is not vaccinated, that there'll be a movement to say, hey, you can't, Act. You cannot um, work or operate in polite society because you have not abided by this vaccination. I know there already have been reports of some uh, uh, bars and restaurants where they were saying you can't come into the bar or restaurant unless you can prove that you've been vaccinated. That's in France. Uh, they even had police officers roaming around uh, through different bars and cafes asking people to see their vaccination papers, which was eerily reminiscent of, of uh, East Germany, World War II kind of stuff. It's, it's really scary. I, the next step would be to tie it to commerce, 
uh, it'll be time to travel because I think it was United Airlines said they were not, not going to hire anybody unless they were vaccinated. Now, fortunately, Delta Airlines and a few others have said they're not going to do that. Uh, but it only takes a few to get on the bandwagon for the others to, to comply. So long, long answer short, the people have to resist. They have to maintain resistance. If they don't, it would only get worse because the left will not give up either. Here's what I think. I think that everybody in this country that is harmed in any way by any of this should file a lawsuit. That's what I think. I think um, if you're denied services, file a lawsuit. If they tell you you can't come in here, file a lawsuit. Um, You know, your private medical information is protected by law. It's a crime for them to even ask you about your medical conditions. Yep. This is this is essentially like saying, um, well, if you have HIV, you can't come in our store or you can't fly on our airplane or you can't bank with us. OK, file a lawsuit. Um, oh, you're going to make my kid wear a mask in school? File a lawsuit. Um, you know, we need to flood them. There should be millions of lawsuits in every state. There are some federal lawsuits pending. There are some class action lawsuits pending. This all needs to continue, but individuals need to start filing pro se. We need to basically break the court system. And all we need is a couple, Jim, like there's a lot of bad judges, right? But we only need a couple to go our way. And just like in Alberta, one guy, one guy went into court pro se, subpoenaed the health director in Alberta said, prove to me that you have a COVID-19, prove to me, show me the isolated COVID-19 virus. They could not do it. The judge has ended all restrictions in Alberta, Canada. It's over. It's all over there. It's been struck. It's been struck down. That's one man. If all of us did that, we could do that here. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why we have the ongoing barrage of psychological warfare coming through mainstream media coming through social media, coming through a bunch of different directions. We can't not be allowed to think beyond the narrative that they want us to think, because if they do, because if we do think beyond their narrative, then they lose control and they won't suffer that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, driving all of this, in the middle of all of this craziness, Mm. they are causing division amongst Americans and they are doing this in several different ways. One of the major ones is this whole narrative of systemic racism. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And um, cancel culture, uh, defund the police, um, you know, reparations. I mean, all of this. And it's all centered on, I guess you would say the traditional um, patriarchy of America, they're, they're all focused on the white man, right? Like it's all our fault. So they're trying to segregate. Um, and I know you're African-American, I'm, I'm Caucasian. So they're trying to segregate and split and divide based on this, this narrative that, you know, all white people are evil. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on this as an African-American? Do you feel like there is systemic racism in this country? Uh, funny you say that. Because I have a video, in addition to a podcast series, I have a video series to launch too. And in the video that will debut tomorrow, actually, uh, well, the, well, I don't know when this will post out, but it will debut on my uh, blog very soon. The title is 
Racism exists in America, but America is not a racist country. And in that video, I lay out stats and, uh, and, and numbers uh, around why that is. And so let me give you a couple of, um, a couple of points that I make uh, in the video. So uh, according to the Pew Research Center in 1967, when miscegenation laws, when you know, co uh, interracial marriages uh, were overturned in the United States, there were about 3% of all newlyweds at that time were uh, married to someone of a different race. Uh, but since then, intermarriage rates have steadily climbed. By 1980, 2003 to 2006, 25% uh, of couples uh, that uh, were uh, interracial couples steadily increased between 1980 and 2009. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, but that is in the marital range. If you look at cohabitation, uh, which is just people living together but not being married, then between 2003 to 2006, 25% of all couples who were living together were mixed race couples. So if you have 25% uh, of people living together, one in four people living together are, are mixed race couples, and you have this steady increase of interracial marriages, then how can you say that America is a racist country? Because that, that doesn't add up. Neither does it not add up that there isn't a lot of moral outrage about interracial relationships. You know, I, I point in my video, um, other stats like uh, something from things Statista, they did a study on people's attitudes towards interracial uh, marriages and interracial relationships. And out of, I think, 2000 Americans they surveyed, it was like 85 or 87% said they had no problem with it. Um, uh, and then there was also this other stat that I was looking at too, because I, I was curious after seeing all these stats about interracial relationships and interracial marriages trending up and there's no moral outrage against it and it's totally accepted. I also looked at interracial adoptions and I found that over time between uh, 2002 to 2012, 21 to 24%, somewhere in there, uh, let's go 24% of all domestic adoptions of children under the age of two were transracial, meaning that uh, out of 24%, uh, more or less one out, of, one out of four adoptions was either somebody white adopting a black child, somebody black adopting a Hispanic child or Asian child, whatever, the two different, two different races. So when I look at that, I'm like, okay, we have a growing trend of interracial relationships, interracial marriages, people living together. We have almost 25% of all adoptions uh, being interracial, how can you say that America is a racist country if we're loving each other and if we're adopting children of other races? It just doesn't make sense to me. And so that's the gist of what my latest video talks about. Yeah. And I mean, um, you know, we did elect the African-American president twice. 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 Um, so, I mean, I, I think the whole argument is bunk. I mean, um, this whole uh, this whole new thing of, you know, You've heard the reports, the greatest threat to America is, you know, white extremist uh, domestic terrorism. <laughs> you know, they're talking about guys like me, you know, guys that respect the Constitution, that want to uphold freedom. I mean, that's basically who they're talking about. And, um, you know, to me, it's pretty insulting. Um, yeah. I don't know any white supremacists. I don't know any, never have, never met one, never seen one. I don't know where they're at. If they're out there, there's not many of them. So... Uh, you know, I worked in law enforcement for 20 years, never really ran into any. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I don't see that um, when I 
in the world I live in. I'm yeah. sure they exist, but the numbers cannot be very great. Uh, they, they are not, they're not great at all. Actually, I did. Um, that's another point. I talked about this on my blog, actually, because, uh, and I'll give you the link to it if, if you want to, if anyone wants to. Read absolutely. It. Uh, but the title of the, of the article is I'm not buying the white supremacy narrative. And this is why. And so I go through uh, different facts and figures about, uh, about this. And so I'm looking at this, I'm pulling up this one chart here. Uh, this is from the Global Terrorism Database. Um, and it says that United States, United Kingdom, and Germany are, are white supremacist hotspots, which you know, sounds ominous. But when I look at the data itself, uh, and you'll see it in the article when I see the link, so at its, at its highlight of the data here from 2018, there were 40 incidents of white supremacy, 40, four, zero. And then it says there were other stats being tracked, like in, their, in this database I'm referencing, they track Islamic extremism, extremist left, anti-gov, and whatever. But when you come straight down to just white supremacy, uh, there were 40, I think, in the United States. And if you look at this other chart here, some information from 2019, they look at uh, white supremacy globally, worldwide. They were able to say that, okay, because of white supremacy attacks, Worldwide in 2019, there were 165 in the entire world, a little over 300 incidents, meaning somebody called somebody a name or there was an attack or something that they would say it was a white supremacist attack in some way. But when you consider the population of the world, uh, well, a couple of billion people, and you have 165 deaths out of a, a few billion people, I mean, no death is insignificant, but that number is very, very small, very, very small. Uh, for it to be considered a major threat here in the United States. And then I'm also, uh, I also mentioned this article too about the, the, the Charlottesville lie when he said uh, what, what Trump supposedly said that uh, the Klan were good people. I talk about that article and I point out, um, uh, I point out that when you look at the protest itself, there were more people out there protesting <laughs> the, the Klan uh, than there were actually Klan members. And also show some stats from also from Statista that uh, surveyed Americans at the time of the Charlottesville uh, incident. And their survey said that 86% of Americans disagree with white supremacy. And so even though I didn't put in my in my video, I probably would call out how can 86% of Americans disagree with white supremacy as as um, qualified as being Klan members? Uh, how can 86% of Americans disagree with, with Klan members? marry so many people that are of a different race, adopt children of a different race, and, and people still say that Americans are a racist country. It just doesn't add up, but it feeds into the narrative of the left, so they keep it going. Yeah, and I think, again, it's all about dividing us as a country and as a people. Yeah. You know, it's easier to, you know, divide and conquer. It's the oldest uh, play in the book. And that brings me to some other areas of this where they're dividing people. And one of the big ones is... Um, uh, transgender stuff. So mm. they, so they have like what, 68 genders or something now um, <laughs> and counting now. I mean, the last time I, maybe you correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, the last time I read a science book or a biology book um, there's two genders and that's pretty much it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So that's a scientific fact. Now the problem is, is that they've convinced a whole lot of people. Well, not really, but maybe 
1% or 2% of the population, that there are 68 genders. How do you have a conversation with someone when two plus two does not equal four? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to, if someone's going to think a certain way, no matter what, you just have willful blindness. I mean, then it's, there's nothing much you can, you can do there. Uh, but in terms of what you said about gender dysphoria, which is, which is a, a, a very big deal, um, I was very curious about it. And I wrote about this in my blog too. Um, with all things, when I want to figure out why is something going on, I go back to the rule of follow the money. <laughs> if, because everything comes down to either money or power, no matter what it is, it seems like, especially in politics. So uh, I, in my article, I talked about, uh, see what's the name of this article? And I'll see the link to this as well. Who decides the sex of your child? Yeah, that's the name of it. Who decides the sex of your child? So um, I came across this article uh, from the Daily Signal called, I'm a pediatrician, how transgender ideology has infiltrated my field, reduced a large scale child abuse. And from that article, I'm going to read this one little thing here, which brings to mind why I say follow the money every time. So here's a quote. Uh, in the article, the author dropped several truth bombs that I had never heard before, and I read a lot, uh, and I read a lot. These were a few of them. These are some of the truth bombs from the article. Pediatric gender clinics are considered elite centers for affirming children who are distressed by their biological sex. This distressful condition, once dubbed gender identity disorder, was renamed gender dysphoria in 2013. In 2014, there were 24 of these gender clinics clustered chiefly along the East Coast and in California. And these are clinics that help you transition from one sex to the other. One year later, there were 40 across the nation. With 215 pediatric residency programs now training future pediatricians in transition-affirming protocol and treating gender dysphoric children accordingly, gender clinics are bound to proliferate further. In other words, at one point, there were 24. Less than a year later, there are 40. I don't know how many there are now. There is money in this move behind this movement. So if you are a doctor, you want to get into surgery, uh, gender dysphoria, uh, pr uh, producing sex change operations is big money. And it's going to get bigger. So that's why you're seeing more and hearing more about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> money and power, my friend, it all comes down money it, or power. It usually <laughs> it usually does. So um, I want to kind of talk to you about your show, uh, things oh, I think please. about. How did you, um, you know, how did you, what caused you to kind of start that? How did you get that going? What brought it all together? Yeah, I've always been on the conservative side of things. I just didn't know what it was called. <laughs> um, and prior to that podcast, I created a brand name for myself in the recruiting industry because I've been in, in HR recruiting for a couple of decades. And when the whole George Floyd thing started happening and there was the outrage about it and I was buying into the narrative at one point because I was like, wow, that's, that looked pretty cut and dry. This guy was was murdered on, on camera. And I just started looking at that. Then I started researching more about it because I was so intrigued about that story. And I've always been one. I've always been a bit of a research nerd. Maybe your listeners can sort of pick up on that already. <laughs> but when I'm really curious about something, I start researching it. And I started seeing a lot of conflicting reports uh, about him being on, on drugs. 
uh, at the time of the arrest, how he was in the back of the car at one point saying he couldn't breathe before uh, they had his knee on him and how they were following procedures and how they possibly knew each other. And it was just a lot of smoke around it. And it wasn't all as cut and dry as the media made it seem. Um, And then I started looking at his particular background and his criminal past and how at one point he had a gun to a pregnant lady's stomach while he was robbing her. I'm thinking this guy is not a saint. You know, maybe he became a saint later in life. I mean, I don't know exactly when he did stuff like this, but I did not see him as being worthy of a golden casket of all of these accolades and all this stuff that was going on. It just it did not seem to fit. And I said, well, how if I'm seeing this, I'm not even doing a lot of research and I was seeing this. I wonder why other people weren't seeing it. Then I started noticing more about how the mainstream media uh, censors certain information to keep certain narratives alive because they want to make money off a particular narrative or they have an ideological reason why they want certain stories out and, and not others. So I said, well, maybe people just don't know about this stuff. So I started writing about it and I started podcasting about it. And that's how my podcast came about. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you started because I enjoy your show immensely. And can you um, tell everybody uh, where can they find you and what's the best way to reach out and get in touch? Sure. The best way to reach me uh, is through my blog, uh, jimstroud.com. That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D.com. Subscribe to my newsletter and uh, you'll get all of my articles. You get my podcast, you get notification of my videos, all things Jim Stroud. Just go to jimstroud.com jimstroud.com everybody jim really appreciate uh talking to you always a pleasure thanks for coming on my pleasure sir thanks for having me thanks for listening to don't tread on liberty with jason davis subscribe on google play itunes or your favorite platform for more liberty news check out www.donttreadonliberty.com and subscribe to the blog or join the conversation 